All right, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the end of day one. Hopefully you've had a great day so far at the conference. We're so excited to end the day with this incredible panel. Um, so I'd love to welcome you formally to the Chess Renaissance, Modern Challenges for an Ancient Game. My name is Tal, I'm a first year MIT Sloan student. I've been part of the organizing team for this conference, so we're so excited that this panel is now finally here in person. Um, I'd love to introduce our, our panelists. We have Fabiano Curano, chess grandmaster and founder of C Squared Podcast. Jennifer Shahade, chess champion, professional poker player and author. Hikaru Nakamura, chess grandmaster, Time US champion and popular chess streamer. And Daryl Morey, president of basketball operations at the Philadelphia 76ers. And the panel is moderated by Danny Wrench, International Master and Chief Chess Officer at Chess.com. To give you a sense of how we'll do this, we'll run the panel for about 45 minutes and then save about 10 minutes for Q&A. You could submit questions via Twitter using the hashtag ChessRenaissance. It's up on the screens in case you forget. And please spell Renaissance correctly. With that, <laughs> I'll pass it over to Danny. I was just about to say, I think the test is whoever can spell Chess Renaissance faster gets their question answered. Thank you, Tal. Uh, well, we're excited to be here. This is, uh, this is pretty awesome. And we've done a few chess panels here at Sloan for a few years, but maybe never, never during a time of so much interest in, in the game. Uh, a little something happened this year, Hikaru. I don't know if you know anything about it. There was a, there was a scandal of some kind, right? Well, the scandal was actually last year, but certainly, um, there was a very big scandal, of course, in recent memory involving cheating in chess. And um, it's something that I think took many people by surprise. Chess is a game that traditionally it's had a very pristine reputation. We don't generally talk about such things, but I think certainly due to the nature of it involving the world chess champion and happening at such a high level, everyone was talking about it. I think that um, going forward, we're probably going to keep on hearing more and more about such topics. I think uh, now that it's out there, um, it does need to be taken seriously by the governing bodies, and kind of we'll, we'll see where it goes. Well, the way you're talking about it makes me want to ask, was it inevitable that something like this would eventually happen at the top, that cheating has existed in chess ever since computers got better than humans? It's been a thing. Do you feel like what happened was inevitable and maybe ultimately because of that could be a good thing if it's dealt with the right way? Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, well, the first thing that changes, chess has had a big resurgence ever since the COVID days starting in early 2020. There's much more interest now. And so if there had been a cheating scandal maybe like four or five years ago, it would have been very minor. The media wouldn't have picked up on it. But now due to this popularity, um, everyone's interested. And I think, yeah, it was inevitable because it does happen. It's the first time I think it's happened maybe at the top level. But we, we will hear more about it. I think that certainly the game will be better off because of it, uh, the fact that people are aware of these things and, and we treat it like a serious issue. Yeah. Fabi, I wanted to throw to you next. You were, you were at the tournament where this, where this uh, scandal went down, but also you, you play high-level chess. I don't know if you know that. You play high-level chess for a living. <laughs> That's something you do. What, like what is that? Podcaster, apparently. Uh, that's right. Well, we'll get to that career in a second. But what is the experience like in chess where we could draw, draw comparisons to other sports that, you know, if someone's accused of PEDs, it happens before the event happens. Or in a team sport, it's not as intimate as a one-on-one -on -one game. What goes through a top player's mind when he thinks he might be playing someone who's playing unfairly? Yeah, that's one of the biggest problems with the online chess, especially. And this is a problem that became known to the outside world following the whole Magnus against Hans scandal. But before that, it was festering beneath the surface for a lot of players. And I think at many levels of chess, from beginning levels, this is something that affected online play up to the very top level. Even if maybe it wasn't there, the suspicions and the paranoia was there. And organizers, in large part, turned a blind eye to it because it's a very difficult and uncomfortable problem. And a problem which doesn't even have a clear solution, if it has one at all. So many organizers prefer to just not address it, which is in some way why it was a good thing that now people are forced to address it. And right. organizations, uh, the people responsible for chess, are now forced to address it because the public wants answers, or at least wanted answers. Uh, that being said, yeah, from from a point of view of someone who thinks they're being cheated against. Even if you're not, it really dramatically lowers your level because it gets in your head. You don't know if you're playing against uh, a real opponent where you, right. can, you can deal with the normal psychological thing or if you're playing against someone or something 
that will beat you no matter what, because the best chess engines, or even not the best chess engines, will beat the best humans 100 out of 100 times. Yeah. Well, that, that dovetails with the clutch panel that we just had before, which is that the, the reason people play well in the clutch, the researchers there, was, it was their level, is their level of confidence in those moments, and they can keep their brain active on positive things. So you can imagine a cheating scandal does, the op, does two things. One is you know they win 100 out of 100, so now your confidence drops to zero. And at the same time, you're thinking about, oh my god, is this person cheating? Not like, you know, analyzing the position. Jen, Fabi touched on something I wanted. It's a good cue to throw to you because he, he said, you know, it's a difficult topic to deal with. And what actually can you do about it? You're a professional. You've been a professional chess player and a professional poker player. So poker has dealt with its fair share of scandals and tried to develop different things. What, what, what would you say on the topic of how the chess world dealt with it? And maybe some things that maybe the chess world could learn from how poker is dealing with anti-cheating. Well, I think that, you know, it's interesting to see chess and poker converge in so many ways. You know, chess has become so much more glamorous and lucrative and psychological, while poker is now really studied almost exactly like chess is, actually using a flattened grid of all the possible poker hands and using AI to study it. So there's that kind of corollary where you're trying to see if somebody's matching the computer moves too precisely, whether right. it's chess or poker. Um, I think that poker players, because of the nature of the game, they think very probabilistically when it comes to anything, and that includes cheating. But obviously, whether it's chess or poker, you ultimately want an answer. And I'd like to throw it back actually a few hundred years ago because there was a massive chess cheating scandal in the 18th century. There was this uh, chess automaton called the Turk. And it would tour around Europe. So it was like a chess board with like a mannequin attached. It would tour all over Europe. It played against Napoleon. It played against Catherine the Great. And you can imagine, like, it just kind of seemed to make moves by itself, by magic, like centuries before you know, we had Deep Blue and uh, even early chess computers. Eventually, it actually came to the United States in this very city. So in 1830, the Turk played in Boston against the very best players of Boston, clobbering most of them. And you had to pay an entire dollar to watch it. That was considered an outrageous price at the time. <laughs> That's the scandal right there, <laughs> big money. But OK, eventually the secret was unraveled. It took them 80 years. But they were able to deconstruct the Turk. And they found what many had suspected, including Edgar Allan Poe, that there was actually a secret sliding drawer for a human to like, make the moves surreptitiously. Yeah. So, I mean, hey, we got through that scandal. I think we can get <laughs> we through, through whatever chess drama brings us. Well, if anyone else wants to weigh in on the scandal, as Tal already said, there's a hashtag. We're going to get to that. I'm sure a lot of people wanted to know that we were going to talk about this topic. And Daryl, before we move off it, what, what, you know, from the outside looking in, in some ways chess has been ahead of things because we've had to be because of the computers. But maybe the chess world's been young in terms of dealing with a scandal of this level. What are your thoughts? Well, I think on... it's just the rise in chess that made the scandal huge. And then, unfortunately, I you know, become very versed in the press because of my job. And the press always needs a hook. And this one had a hook that I, I can't say. It looks like Sue, say it's, Sue, Sue Bird on, on the last panel. <laughs> Couldn't talk about her scandal for the same reason, it turned yeah. out. So, um, so anyway, it went viral. It got on every, every newspaper. And everyone actually started to believe that yep. some of these crazy things. But I wanted to zoom out not to 1830. My goodness, Jennifer. Yep. I, so, yeah. I, I, I'm not, I was going to zoom out to <laughs> chess has always generally been ahead. Like they were the first to use computers in a significant way in their sport. They were first to be able to do systematic chess detection, uh, cheat detection in their sport. And yeah, you were, you were sort of late to a scandal that was on the front page of every uh, single newspaper. And I think a lot of times the, when those scandals happen, the mistakes happen early. Uh, so I, I did feel like um, I, I know enough about cheat detection. I'm no expert. We have experts in the audience and, and on this stage. But I knew that you couldn't tell if someone was cheating just from one game. So while I knew, I knew some background that uh, he had cheated before online, you, you, it, I, I felt it was behooved that you needed to like, still presume innocent until guilty in an over-the-board situation and sort of let it play out. Because yeah. if someone's cheating, eventually they'll be 
discovered. Like it, it, you know, just like in every other sport, there's been steroid scandals, there's been uh, doping scandals, there's been everything. Eventually, these people are found out. It's better to let them hang themselves yeah. than to jump the gun. Because are you saying you want to run PR for Chess.com going forward? <laughs> because we might need. I, I like my job, but okay. uh, well, you think know. about it. Yeah, we um, need you in Philly. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think it's fair, and yeah, it's. Uh, been complicated so this but is i feel like the chess community got it right eventually it feels yep. like to me so yeah, even in that case of the turk they actually there were two boys who saw an, a human climbing out of the machine um, but they weren't believed at first so it well, took some it took some time yeah there you go eventually everyone's <laughs> discovered yeah so well the the topic of of technology may be affecting the game as far back as the 1800s but more recently with some of the negativity Technology has affected the game in a lot of positive ways. We'll shift a little bit to the online scene with uh, talking about streaming, talking about the, the investment into online tournaments, right? The, the opportunities for a top player are more lucrative than ever. Maybe that makes the incentive higher than ever to cheat. But Hikaru, let's talk about the positive and, and where you've been a trailblazer. You've been someone who's turned as a professional player into a professional content creator. But will we, will we be talking in 20 years about Hikaru Nakamura, the pioneer? who was the first of top players who did it, or will we be looking back and saying, I miss the days when we had top chess players also streaming their thoughts, because there really aren't a lot of other top players doing what you do yet. So what are, you, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think um, it's, it's very hard to know whether it was because of the circumstances with COVID and what was happening in, in 2020 that sort of changed the world of chess. Um, being able to stream and create content or whether it would have happened anyway, first of all, you know, I think, I first started playing on the internet all the way back in the late 1990s. There was a site called the Internet Chess Club, um, and I would actually play games and write out write out like comments. So it's called kibitzing um, in general terms during games, things of this nature. Now, of course, these days I actually talk. I don't type, so it's a little bit different. But I think that um, it, it was a long time coming, and certainly. There's so many people who love chess, but being able to share that, you can't really do that when you're simply competing. And so what has happened with myself, there are some other careers like Gotham Chess, uh, the Botez Sisters. Um, it's just amazing that we're able to share the game with so many more people in a way that we weren't even 10 years ago. Um, as far as what the future holds, very, very hard to judge. I mean, there aren't many top players who are doing it. I think that's because when you look at the landscape of creating content, it's pretty much... I would say the odds of having success are actually lower with that than even a startup. You have to put in a lot of time and work. And even then, it's still, I think, a bit of a lottery for, for those of us who were doing chess during the pandemic. Many people got stuck at home. They, they, they sort of returned to, to games and topics, things that they really liked when they were younger. And in chess, a lot of people who pick up the game, it's, it's one of two things. Either you learn it in school from, from your teachers or you generally learn it from a parent or a grandparent. And so the, all the circumstances were great and everything worked out. But I think that going forward, probably it, it, will, it will have just been a very special time. Um, I don't like being super negative, but I think it was just a very special time. Interesting. Fabi, you're, you're a top player who's becoming a content creator yourself in a slightly different form. But building on that, so Hikaru is saying, like, there really aren't a lot of other top players doing this live commentary. Chess has been anti an anti-social game in many ways for many years. You're one of the first top players now giving at least insights and thoughts into how he's viewing a lot of stuff while you're still actively competing against people you're giving opinions on. So what, what are your thoughts on the content career you're building and does chess need more people doing what you're doing? Yeah, I think one of the reasons that chess became even more popular, and obviously there was an explosion in popularity, but one of the great things that chess fans can learn about chess from is that there's a lot of ways to hear the thoughts of top players. And it might not be in the way that Hikaru does it, which is in a very regular format, playing on, online every day and sharing his thoughts about blitz games or rapid games or, or classical games. Uh, but there's also, you know, you can hear Magnus uh, talking about his games in a re less regular way, but still, you can hear Anish talking about his games. Uh, so it might not be in quite at quite the same uh, at the same level, but, uh, but a lot of people are doing it. And so if you're a newcomer to chess, in a way that, that wasn't possible, let's say, going back 20 years or, or 30 years, you can hear in real time about the thoughts of top players and, and their thought process during a game. So, so that's a very special thing. Yep. And uh, I think, yeah, that's one of the, the ways in which uh, technology has, has brought chess to every level, not just, uh, you know, to, to the top level, but, but for beginners as well. Yeah. 
I'm incredibly optimistic because if you if you zoom into the macro of like how where the growth of uh, especially like real time and gaming type content, it, it just continues to grow and grow on Twitch and uh, YouTube trying to compete with a lot of places now trying to compete with Twitch and TikTok and essentially that growth is explosive and and it's a across a bunch of games. But if you also take the step back and say that. Uh, this is more of an opinion, but I think it's a pretty valid. That chess is most likely the best board game ever invented. Uh, it is. I'm here to confirm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the chief chess officer says that. Okay, yes. But but it's incredibly incredibly rich, and and you can at every level you can continue to learn, and it's interesting, especially from being able to hear folks who are better. Like if 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 James Harden is describing to someone like. Do do the do these kinds of things? They uh, many times they can't physically do that. They right. don't have like the base level of athleticism. But you can. It's it's also nearly impossible to ever get to any level anywhere close to the few folks on the stage. But you can at least like at least envision yourself almost like you have with golf, where you'll sometimes hit a shot yep. that that Tiger also hit. You can also make a move that sometimes that these folks will hit and can feel that moment even though you're probably going to make a mistake after right. that. And, and so I think the, <laughs> the proof is in the, the growth. And obviously there are things that supercharge that growth. Uh, Chess.com was part of it. The pandemic was part of it. Queen's Gambit was part of it. The, the scandal was part of it. Like all these things drove growth. But I, 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 just, see, I just see continued growth uh, in, into the future. And, also, young people want more small consumable things. They want, uh, I'll, watch, I'll watch Hikaru analyze something for five minutes uh, that he clips out into his channel from his longer Twitch, or I'll watch Fabiano for five minutes versus, you know, I'm two and a half hours watching right. a baseball game. Well, we're talking about the, the creators that are helping with the growth and all the other things you said too, but you mentioned chess is kind of dominating in a lot of ways on Twitch and YouTube, but there still hasn't been that breakthrough into mainstream. And, and Jen, I think of poker in that, in that way. What because, is mainstream? What do you mean? Well, I think of mainstream traditional TV, linear, linear TV, whereas poker... Yeah, but that's like but, dying. Yeah, that's kind of dying. <laughs> okay, I mean, I, so like it, you know, you're aspiring to a thing that's going down. <laughs> that's, that's my argument, too. I was actually going to say oh, that, sorry, but sorry, I also sorry. think that there's been some things poker has done to make a breakthrough to a larger audience, like the pocket cam. It's the first time the fan, in theory, had more knowledge than the professional in, in dramatic moments. And Jen, what do you think the game itself could do to give the fans a little more, a little more dramatic hooks in the way that poker has presented itself to broader audiences? I mean, I think chess is doing a fantastic job of presenting itself. And I mean, I guess the most direct corollary is that people can kind of like choose their adventure in that they could try to watch chess with like no engine analysis. So they're totally using their own brain. They could like watch it with great commentary and no engine. They could watch like the analysis bar go up and down. So they know even more than the great players playing. Right. And so I think that's probably the, uh, the most direct corollary. But I think that Another thing that you know, chess has done that really caused um, the boom in so many ways is the, the pog champs, right? Because you right. had people who were not great chess players, but who were fantastic creators who suddenly um, were in the spotlight. And I think that inspires people that you know, they don't have to be Fabiano or Hikaru, but somehow one day their names could be in lights if they could also amass a million Twitch subscribers. Well, it's is your way to remind us that we never let Daryl play in PogChamps. Is that what <laughs> the throw to was? Thank you, yes. Daryl yes. didn't get invited to PogChamps, and he's still upset. You never invited me. I, I never invited yeah. you. That's yes. right. You're too good. Um, no, yeah. but... I want to add something too, though, because I mean, like, when you ask a question, um, not because I would sound a little bit negative there about whether I'm going to be like an aberration, the only one. I think for top players, I will be, but I think chess itself will continue to grow. And one of the big differences with chess versus, say, a lot of the esports or games, and this specifically applies to YouTube, is that most games have changes. They have like patches and buffs and all these other things. And so when a game changes, if you watch, I mean, I, I, I'll just use Fortnite. I know there probably aren't a lot of kids in the audience who play it, but like, if you look at the Fortnite of like 2018, 2019, um, when, when Ninja was playing, he had this big rise. Um, you know, you could, you could watch his videos, but now if you go on YouTube and you watch a video of Ninja playing Fortnite from that time period, the video is just, it's irrelevant. No, n there's nothing about it that's applicable to the game today. And yeah. with chess, a video that, like, say there's a video of me from 2017, that's still relevant even today. And the fact that chess is very evergreen 
and you can watch a video now, 10 years from now, it will still be the same. That is a big advantage that chess has over just about any other, any other game, really. Um, can I echo that? that it also makes the data super useful and right. allows these longitudinal. We can actually compare better than any other sport. You know, we can't really compare Will Chamberlain to Joel Embiid. Exactly. Go ahead. And I, and I want to finish my rant on chess's growth is that the early games that were getting lots of views uh, on Twitch and other things were horrible games. And I'm like, <laughs> why, why is the best game not winning? So I'm like super excited that we finally have this game that is evergreen, has great data, amazing champions, all these things all like coming together. And I, I just continue but see it going up. I totally agree. And I want to throw back to you, Fabi, because I want to double down on Hikaru's answer to the question, which is that no other top players have jumped into the world of streaming. It, why is that? Is it, is it that streaming, you feel like it makes you a worse player? Is it distracting? I, with Hikaru, it, for some reason, it seems to make him better, right? Like he's not as focused on the result or, or something to, to touch on the, uh, the clutch psychology theory, right? But what do you think it is that prevents more top players from jumping into live streaming? Yeah, I think Hikaru might be unique in that sense because I think it would negatively affect a lot of players if they were speaking during the games. While for Hikaru, it doesn't seem to really affect his level at all. And he's explaining <laughs> the moves. How do you do it? Right. But I, I have to say, is there any other sport where you have someone just explaining what they're doing while they're doing it? I, I can't really think of anything else. So the basketball tournament, which is this like unique basketball event, they'll have everyone mic'd and they'll have the coach in real No, time. but you're right, Fabi, not at that it's, level. It's not super level. rare, yeah. yeah. So that's and, the only one I can think of. And that's quite unique. But I, I think with top players, it is also a bit of tradition because traditionally, uh, the approach to chess has been you have to study for very long games, you have to study this, this, and that. You don't mess around with Blitz and Bullet. I remember my coaches when I was a kid saying, yep. you know, don't play Blitz and Bullet late into the night. And, and also, I, you have to be super quiet and focused to play your best chess, not talking yeah, while you're playing. That as well. And there, there are stories about uh, champions. I remember the story of Botvinnik, who was preparing for matches where the atmosphere would be very quiet, but people would smoke during the games. And so he would practice by having his opponent during training games blow smoke in his face oh, wow. so that he would be ready for that during, during the actual championship, yeah. which, of course, is not at all applicable to, to modern chess. So, Fabi, they say don't play Blitz and Bullet, but how did the greatest chess computer get created? It played itself very fast, billions of times. Now, of course, it's like a neural net. So, but there could be something to tons of pattern matching, lots of rapid games. No, I, I think that's true. We've, we've learned that. Rapid and Blitz does seem to help players improve their chess. Like we've learned this mostly from the young players who improve at such a rate, which is pretty much unprecedented for in chess history. We have players who are 16, 17 years old uh, competing with the best players in the world. While although players have been very strong at 16 and 17 years old, we haven't seen them being able to play against Magnus, for example, and hold him to a draw or, or fight for the first place in super tournaments as, as we've seen even this year. Is that the next challenge? Have someone blow smoke in your face while you're playing and streaming and commentating? Uh, that sounds like the next yeah, video. Yeah, so, so, it sounds like some, some content idea. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of different formats and distractions, the other thing we wanted to touch on in this panel was talk about the other thing that's happening with the game is, in addition to technology and the online world blowing up, there are different formats being experimented with. The Fisher Random World Chess Championship, we have a Fisher Random World Champion here experimenting with Armageddon formats. For those who don't know, that's designed to, to break the evil tie of chess. People don't like ties. Bobby, you played 12 games of classical World Chess Championship chess and you didn't lose. Did you know that? That was a big deal. I, this is the first I'm hearing of it. You didn't, you didn't lose a single classical game, but there's the argument that maybe there was something wrong with the format because it wasn't as exciting as maybe it could be. Do, do time controls need to be faster? Are there things that over the board chess could learn from the formats, the faster time controls, the Armageddon style of the online games? Well, this is the reason, essentially, why Magnus is not playing the next World Championship, because he doesn't like the format. But that might be for purely personal reasons, just because he doesn't like all the preparation that goes into it and, and the amount of time that he and, and stress that he has to put into it. But I think there's a place for uh, bullet chess, for 30-second chess, up until the long classical one-game-a-day matches that, that we're used to historically. and. I think where the interest comes in is mostly in the stakes. Like, nobody's going to watch a one game a day match 
if there's no, nothing at stake. But if it's the World Championship, if there's a lot of money and prestige and the historical relevance for that, that the players both have invested in the match, yeah. then everyone's very interested. And we see that the World Championship consistently pulls the biggest numbers in terms of viewership because people want to find out who's the next world champion. Jen, what are your thoughts on that? Because you mentioned Pog Champs. That was a, it was a traditional format, but untraditional in that it was a bunch of people you cared about even though they were bad at chess. And is there, is there something about Fabiano saying here that there's a place still for all types of formats all the way to the longest, or is it just about the stakes being right and that you care about the people playing? I think there's absolutely room for everything because of the growth of chess. And I think that really helps motivate people that there's different ways that they can succeed in chess. You know, some people could be really good at blitz, rapid, um, classical. Of course, we're talking about professional levels, but even for an amateur level player, the fact that you might be um, terrible at bullet, but, you know, really good at bug house, right? Like, that, I think that really allows really good at puzzles, you know, these, this idea that you could be a content creator even if you're not that good at chess. Just different ways to be good at chess, I think, is really powerful. You know, chess boxing um, was, was all the rage this, this fall, right? Yep. And uh, I remember one of my, my own favorite creations, partly inspired by chess boxing, and I can't help but think of it now, is uh, hula chess where we chained the uh, chessboard from the ceiling and then we were hula hooping and playing chess at the same time. So I, I suggest we do that. We, we, can, we can rig it up here pretty easily, right, Daryl? Yeah, for sure. I, I wanted to ask you, Jennifer, the, it feels like one thing that might hold back the growth, because I present a very optimistic picture, is, and PogChamps is really, is like onboarding. Because I think a lot of people are intimidated. They're like, it's a, it's a male sport. It's a, it's uh, that's you know not cool or that like that's the you gotta be super smart. smart to you gotta be super smart, which has been shown to not be true actually. That you don't you know, you just need to be good at chess don't to be good at chess. Don't so don't tell. We're, we're oh, all you're, really like, smart. We're, you're all using. <laughs> we're all living. You're all living off that illusion. I got you. But but yeah, there's all these studies that if you're good at chess, it means you're good at chess, but it doesn't necessarily translate. So how do we? And maybe you can answer this because you've onboarded more people in the world, but. Uh, like, how do we onboard people? I moderate so I don't have to answer the question. Yeah, no, I'm, turn, I'm turning the lens I, I, back I, I, onto Dan. Carl, what do you think? What do we need to do to keep the chess boom going? Well, I mean, there, there's also the big elephant in the room, which isn't addressed, which is the fact that, you know, when you talk about going mainstream with chess or success, a lot of it has to do with what the prize funds are, how much money people earn as professional players. And so when you look at it from the, the context of trying to bring more money into the game, it's all about the audience and what does the audience want to see? Because in this modern world, eyeballs drive everything. Um, so because of that, I think that the formats that are relatively shorter are going to attract sponsors and the viewers much more than longer formats. formats. Um, when you look at like Fabiano's match against Magnus Carlsen, the world champion, when you play 12 games and the games are going three to four hours every day and nobody wins, uh, that's not what the fans want to see. And then to have it decided with quicker games after that, it's just, it doesn't, doesn't feel right. Soccer so, fans love that. The so I was going to say. Yeah, but all the games aren't 0-0 <laughs> zero, zero at the end of the day. <laughs> not all the Sorry. games end 0-0. Zero, zero. But I, I think certainly um, if you're looking at it from the perspective of bringing, bringing more, more eyeballs, more sponsors to the game and more money for the top players, the quicker formats are the future, and I, I think it's only going to keep moving in that direction. I mean, as Daryl mentioned, when people watch content on YouTube or Twitch or, frankly, TikTok or any, any site, it's, the attention spans are becoming less and less. So if you have, uh, you have shorter games and, or you have like, content that's shorter, you will end up, uh, more people will be interested in that. So I think we're yep. moving in that direction for sure. Is that another reason to maybe reconsider? I'm trying to get you to say, yes, classical chess needs to be faster. In case you, I'm just going to twist ending. That's what I'm trying to get you to say. Um, but <laughs> Hikaru talked about how the, the new generation or the, the, the fans that are exploding online are not only growing up watching faster time controls, they're also growing up playing much faster time controls. And the argument that it's intimidating to go from playing five and 10 minute chess on your phone to wait, you're, I gotta sit for six hours at this game, right? Is there, is, there a better, is there a better gateway drug for over the board chess to help make sure that these online audiences stick with the game and maybe make that leap to their chess club or, or tournament? Well, I think when we're talking about the casual chess fan playing, it's going to be mostly rapid and blitz chess. It's probably gonna be mostly blitz and it's gonna be mostly online. But in terms of what people want to watch, yeah, I think that probably most people would prefer to watch Rapid and Blitz, but there is that uh, element, that, that uh, faction of people, of chess fans, that want to watch classical chess. And I don't really see why we don't have room for both of it in, in chess. But from, 
the perspective of a chess professional, of course I want to play Rapid and Blitz. There's so much less work involved. It's, it's so much easier. <laughs> like you don't have to prepare for hours and hours. And now that I'm That's playing only because you've done millions of hours of prep before that, though. I wouldn't. Playing your whole life, right? Yeah, of course. You, you still need to, to work a lot on chess. Yeah. But you don't have to do the sort of memorization. Yeah, that, which. Like I hours and hours of just cramming stuff into your head before a game. Would every top player want to get rid of that? Unless that's their edge, I suppose. But. I think most players don't mind well, not spending hours yes, memorizing exactly. before a game. Not only might they not mind, I mean, Jen, you know, you and uh, your brother Greg Shahadi, who's also a, a tournament organizer and a very big ambassador for the game, have been pushing kind of some different formats, faster time controls, I think, before it was cool to do that for yeah. a long time. And is there an argument to be made that the rapid time control is actually the better representation of where the sport has come? That it's not just what you remember from home, but it's also not so fast that it's bullet. It's the right balance of high-level prep and the sporting elements of, of having to figure things out without six hours on the clock. Is that another argument that maybe rapid is the evolution because it should be? Yeah, I absolutely love commenting, watching, rapid chess, blitz chess. It's so much fun. I can see why it is the reason for the growth of the game. But I have to say, as a player, all my success came from classical chess. And whenever I got into a, a blitz playoff, I always lost. So I do have a sweet spot for that classical chess, especially in this era of constant distraction. As like a player, it's kind of like I, this memory of just like completely losing yourself for a few hours. I'm not saying it has to be a six hour game. Maybe classical could be more like two hours each. That is a very special experience that I think is kind of seductive in an age of constant distraction. Yeah. Can we lean for a second into this? Like the world champion drives the most Interest, but it, it probably is the worst structure of any world championship of any sport you could ever envision. Okay. Not only are we talking about the timing being wrong, right? No other sport, like, you know, makes, like, every, like, Golden State would have won, like, 12 straight titles because, like, it would be, like, everyone fights and then they only play Golden State. Like, right. everyone should, have, like, everyone should have to fight. Then you play 12 games. Everyone wants to see exciting right. things, like, three... I, I would never go to twelve. Like twelve is bizarre. Like it's an sure even Pete number. listening to this because I want. Yeah, yeah. Out. I mean, like the entire structure of the world championship is designed to make people less interested. Yeah. No, but I mean seriously, let's double down on that because what. You should have a bracket. Everyone loves brackets. Knockout brackets. Are the, are brackets. Right? We did have that. I mean, Carl and Fabiano get a buy. Sorry, go ahead. No, but I mean, I think the issue is, again, this is the thing. Chess is sort of, you, you have like this cultural thing where because you have this tradition of having a classical world champion with this format for, I mean, what, like 100 plus years now, they don't, people don't want to change or the governing bodies don't want to change that format. And so, right. again, it comes down to sort of the practical nature of looking at making changes versus keeping things the same. And I think at the end of the day, though, if you want the game to grow, you want more people watching, you also want the professionals to earn more money and therefore changes, I mean, should be happening. What's the comparison? I mean, other sports have done this. They've had tradition, but they've adjusted the rules to favor Absolutely. offensive players. Playoff formats change. Now, all those things, you know. Playoff formats change constantly. Yeah. Different number of games, different number of play teams. Like, the only sports that win are the ones that are reacting to their audience and making changes to the rules, making changes to the structure, such that it drives interest, drives revenue, which drives better players. It all becomes a virtuous cycle. And right now at the World Championship Classic level, they've got like a vicious cycle that's working in the anti way, yep. which is like, it's less interesting than every other format of chess. It's like, no one wants to do it. <laughs> right. and, so, and so now now you have the best player not even wanting to play. Like, can you think of a bigger failure of a sport than you have the best player doesn't even want to play yeah. to try and win? That is I've great. never heard anything like that. It'd be like Golden State, like, oh, oh we, won, we won four times. Ah. Next year, we'll just play FIBA. Yeah. You know, like, that'll we, be We don't need to speculate about uh, knockout format because we had the knockout format for years, and nobody liked it. We had world champions from, I think, 96 till 2004 in terms of knockout format. Nobody. And, and nobody cared about who the champion was. Because it didn't have the history, is my mm -hmm. guess. Maybe they didn't it, care at the did. time, but the, the audience wasn't what it was now. It also was never presented in the same way that the classical world championship match was, right? The classical match was still held up as, these are really the, the heavyweight boxers, and this is not really the right title. Well, the thing is, you, ha you have the rating system. So let's say you have a knockout format world championship tomorrow, and you have a winner like, which could be very likely, you have a winner like Abdus Sitarov, who could easily win a tournament like that. 
And then will people think he's the best in the world? Or would they still think Magnus is the best in the world because he has the highest rating? Right. So how do you how do you separate the rating system? Sports, they have an injury, they win, they go like, oh, this other team is better. But you know, this it is, is interesting this, though. It's not an apples to apples comparison. Yeah. You're, not, you're not wrong, and I think they did I, change I, their I format. They used to play over two days. It's true. <laughs> Which is ridiculous. But I think your point about reacting to the audience is the appropriate one, right? As the audience changes and as we learn what they want, you know, the game should be willing to adjust. Speaking of reacting to the audience, by the way, we have a lot of questions yeah. coming in. Keep using the hashtag if you're in if you're in here or outside. If you do that, we might get to some of these. Um, I don't know if we can flash the position real quick because one of the questions comes saying they want Fabi and uh, Fabi and Hikaru to throw down real quick. <laughs> They're not going to throw down in a, in, a, in a game, but the puzzle that we're showing here um, was chosen by Daryl Morey, and so we'll officially say that the race is on for who can solve this first, either Fabiano or, or uh, Hikaru. We can come back or to Jennifer, it. Jennifer, what? You already what? know, Danny. What you know the, the hell? Oh, I already know the answer. You just said five Jennifer's right oh, there. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I only said it because the question came in. I have said, no chance. The other three have. The well, question came you, in and you, said, "Can Fabi and Hikaru right? play?" I know so it. Like yes. Yeah, so so you have a chance. Well, yes. I can see. I can see. It could be a cheating scandal. Well, now that now that you guys are both thinking, we'll come to you when when one of you thinks you have it. I want to go to one of the first questions we had, which is. This, might this lead is to really a good clutch. Discussion. They're going to be analyzing a position while answering. I'm sure they will. They, they're, sure, they're, yeah. Now that I've told them that, they're both going to be thinking about it for the rest of the year. Uh, I think we've, we've already been thinking about it most of the time. Okay, good, good. Oh, you um, already have, you guys have it? I'm I, I don't 100% have it. sure okay, I have okay. it. We're talking about the audience is growing, audience is changing. We had this chess boxing event in December. Can they oh, show the position for the audience? I think, I think they can see it, maybe. Can you guys see the position? No, no can you guys put the position up? Okay. Let the audience get along. There we go. There you go. You guys just. Keep looking at that. It's white to play. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, like Price is right. They could start shouting moves the out. The B pawn is about to queen for black. The B pawn is about to queen for black. So just so you know the board orientation. Now back to the panel. So the the question about the audience changing. We talked about this chess boxing event, which was the. Oh, can you explain that? Because that's that was a pretty cool event. Explain yeah. chess boxing. Or so, Jennifer can explain. It. Go ahead. Explain, explain. Well, chess boxing is a beautiful format, which is. <laughs> <laughs> it's been around for a long time, actually. Yes, it is. Yeah. I did know the founder, Epe, yeah. yeah. Um, so it's alternating rounds of four moves of chess, so four per player, and um, rounds of boxing, and you win by knockout or checkmate. And so this, this <laughs> that's, sport that's was good. invented actually by an artist, which is yep. a pretty cool, cool, cool kind of aspect to it, that the artist like, did it as a performance piece, thinking, like, what if you mix like, the two most opposite things in the world? Um, how like visually stimulating that would be, and indeed the pictures were phenomenal, and it ended up becoming an art project that turned into like a real boxing association. Fabi, who do you want to chess box? Well, I, I don't know something. if I want to chess box anyone. <laughs> no, you have to choose. Who do you want to chess box? Like I, I've said that I, I think in terms of weight category, it's probably Anish is relatively within okay. my weight category, <laughs> yeah. so that would make make the most sense. Yeah, but. Well, like, who's the favorite in the, if it's Super GM chess boxing, who's the favorite? You, I don't know what the weight categories are, though. Okay, just, I think it's probably Napo, if I had to guess. Yeah. Seems let's like say, probably let's, the most aggressive guy. Yeah. yeah. Is that, I was going to say Grishik. Maybe. I was going to say Grishik's huge, right? They're yeah. Tall. But, yeah um, but who would he fight? Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. Well, I, I, we're going off on a tangent right, here, but sorry. I wanted to get to the question. No, this is great. Because one of the questions was, the game is growing. Audiences are showing up for live events like chess boxing, which is why I threw to it. And the question is, I don't know, sorry, I don't know your Twitter handle, but basically wants to ask hey, all, all three of you, when do we think chess is ready to sell out arenas and for chess events to, uh, to sell live tickets for fans? Hey, Karu, we'll start with you. Um, that's, that's, a, that's a very tough question. I think it involves the right personalities, certainly. Um, if we're talking at the professional level, I think we're still quite a ways off from that. I think we're going to have to see a new generation of kids rise to the top. Uh, if we're talking more like influencers, similar to like what happened with chess boxing, I think that could happen almost tomorrow um, yeah. with, the, with the right influencers for sure. So it just depends whether we're talking at the amateur level or whether we're talking about professionals. So if there's a new generation, is there going to be a senior tour of chess that you guys will dominate? I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, chess, with, with the quicker format, certainly, I think as players, uh, since player, players are getting older, but players like myself, I could see myself playing in like 10 or 15 years if there is more rapid and blitz chess than as much classical as I used to play. So it depends on the formats. And again, I think also with the knowledge base that we have these days, players will be able to play at a higher level until they're older. Um, 
So I think there's some chance that there will be a senior tour or something like that. Back to the, the, the poker question, is there something about how chess is presented that would make it better for stadium? Do the, we need the fans screaming, you need headphones on. What are the thoughts about how chess would have to be presented in that format? Well, you were at the Chess Box Week event, right? And that was, yes. I mean, I, I was just watching online, but it was absolutely incredible. So, I mean, yep. I think Chess is just doing so many of the right moves in that respect. And, I mean, think about how many arenas are getting sold out if you count all the online viewers. That's true. That's true. Yeah, you're, you're again, chasing an old standard. So, like... You just want to tell me what you think I'm doing wrong here? I'm chasing an old standard. You're chasing an old standard. You're trying to sell out arenas. I mean, that's, that's what that? the NBA does. Like, chess can dominate an, the new platform. That's like, true. Yeah. That's true. But there's also, you know, when you, when you grow up as a kid wishing that people cheered for you if you wanted to <laughs> Maybe I just need to... This is your psychology. On the therapy gotcha. couch. Um, well, I mean, I think that's the big difference. Like, for me specifically, is when I was growing up playing professionally, it's really all about myself. It's just myself against the other competitors. There aren't the fans that are watching in person. Even online, frankly, there, there isn't really the fan base. So when, when I stream now, it feels like there is a big community. It does almost feel like I'm, I'm like competing and I do have all the support from the fans in a way that never existed at any other time in my chess career. So for me, I, I think that that's why when you look at the future, uh, if you have fans, you have like 150,000 people watching Magnus and myself playing in the speed match in, last December. Like that is that that is the future, and it's, that's much more important than selling out arenas. That's 10 arenas. That's true. That's 10 arenas, and when the chat's going crazy, it's like people are screaming in a stadium mm -hmm. anyway. So, the the next question I want to ask also comes in from uh, Twitter because it's a counterpoint to what Hikaru said. But Fabi, I'll throw it to you. He said that chess. We talk about chess being evergreen. It's the same game now as it will be and has been for years, that makes it always accessible, people can come back, but should we ever worry about it being stale in that case? And I wanna come back to the format question. Is, is there more of a future to things like Fisher Random and more formats, or with the audience growing, is chess never gonna be stale? Yeah, I think we've heard about the death of chess for decades. Yeah, it's been and greatly exaggerated. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and it, it hasn't happened. Yeah. Uh, I think we found that Although computers got super strong and now can beat humans all the time, it doesn't really change the, the human element, which is what people really want to see. They want to see the mistakes. They don't want to see perfect chess. They want to see the clash of personalities as well. They want to see their favorite chess player, not just because it's the best chess player, but also because they like how that person talks or presents themselves. And so it's not just about the, the chess playing. We, we really need to see personalities in chess, and I think that's yep. what what has uh, developed in, yep. in recent years. So chess is one of the few, few deterministic games that hasn't been solved and will probably never be solved. It's too, but let's say, let's say some crazy quantum computer solved chess and said, you know, white wins or whatever. We're pretty sure it's a draw, but... but it wouldn't but change that, anything. That would not change no. anything for you. Okay. And I think that quantum computers could solve it if they actually put it to the test. I mean, it's a complete waste of resources, but... <laughs> We should probably fold proteins. Instead. And th this is one of the issues now with, with analyzing chess, which is that very often you get an evaluation which shows 0, 0, 0, which means the position the computer assesses as objectively drawn. And this is completely unhelpful in analysis because it doesn't take into effect, uh, into effect the human element and the psychological element and how people make mistakes. So it doesn't matter if the position is objectively won, lost, or drawn because it's more about the diff difficulty of the moves for both sides. And that's one of the more difficult sides of analyzing chess now, that you have these computers which have become a little bit too strong. I have a, a friend from poker who has like a 10,000 10, to one um, bet that black wins if the chess is ever solved. Well, that'll never be resolved. <laughs> exactly. But, but I mean, even, even if it were resolved and chess mm -hmm. is solved, nobody can memorize it. So even if you know on say move number five that this, this move loses, as humans, we can't memorize the sequences and, and all the different possible ways uh, for the game to end. So because of that, I don't think it changes anything whatsoever. Yeah, you see this in poker, that there are a lot of solutions, but it's not like anybody. Despite these solutions existing, nobody can play like that. Yeah. Well, we, we have a little bit of data on that in chess, because all positions with seven pieces or less have, have been solved mm -hmm. mathematically. Yeah, and we have some positions where the computer might say it's a checkmate in 366 moves. And for the human eye, if you go through these moves, it's, it's nonsense. It's like complete gibberish. It's, it's incomprehensible. It might be mathematically correct, but not only is it not 
uh, possible to memorize, as Hikaru said. It's also not possible to understand any sort of pattern or anything. Yep. So it's a purely mathematical exercise. Just Does Magnus in one of your draws miss like some crazy? I, I missed a check on the like, like yeah. 60 right. something Sorry. moves. Yeah, it was like a 60 move. Thing. Games, that was, that was somewhat comprehensible. Right yeah, game. Uh, no, I was going to throw games. It was game, game eight, I think, right? Or, no, the, the one you missed the table base win was game six. Oh, okay. Game eight was. I don't even know my own game. Game eight was the special <laughs> cop. It was queen h5. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> game h5. <laughs> Only you had played queen h5. No, I'm kidding. Um, chess has been dealing with, you know, the undeniable truth that the data knows better than the humans longer than maybe any other sport, right? And, and it's found a way to sort of navigate that world and then ultimately kind of embrace it. We talked about in last year's panel how commentators kind of had to evolve the way they talked about chess instead of fighting against the engine. What would be a sports comparison where you have data, but James Harden just won't listen to you? Like, <laughs> how does that work? Where the data says they should do certain things, but they won't. And is, I, I'm jokes aside, is there a... Is there a transition where at some point the, the, the data just needs to be trusted and you just need to do it? Well, that's some worry with a lot of, this is why leagues need to evolve the games because, you know, generally the best games have multiple win paths with strategic trade-offs and chess for sure has that and will always have that. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of games like, you know, for a while it was like worried. Everything's going to be an uppercut swing, a walk or a strikeout. Um, in baseball, not a lot of dynamics and they've made changes to try and address that. The NBA has become a very spacing, three-heavy uh, game, and it's there's some worry that there are very limited paths to a winning strategy where you'd rather have there be different styles that could that that could win. Um, and so, to me, like when you ask me that question, I think of like there are these sort of solved games, not solved like chess or Connect Four recently solved. It's it's more like solved in that unfortunately, like there's not a whole lot of degrees of freedom on how to build a champion. Um, and so I have to think about, I have to think about that. I'm not sure I'd answer your question though. No, it's okay. I'm just wondering <laughs> if there's a, a moment when the data became undeniable for chess players and there was no longer a debate about whether the computer knew better. It was just how well you could either play like the computer or memorize it. I didn't know if there was a sports comparison on that level. Yeah, I, th I, th I think the comparison is that a lot of these sports, it seems to be narrowing into single paths to win, which is not really good for the fans. Yeah. Mm. Oh, interesting. Speaking of the fans, another good question. People want to know whether, whether the World Chess Championship coming up without Magnus will have a dramatic negative effect on not just viewership, but on the game. Hikaru? Um, I mean, it's definitely going to have a, a negative um, there's going to be a negative outcome in terms of the viewership for sure. For the game itself, I don't think it changes much. So many people are, are already familiar with the top names, and certainly the fact that there's so many events that players like myself, Magnus, Fabiano, and others are competing in. I think because of the awareness online, it won't really have that big of an, an impact. I, I think it's just it's not great for the game, but it won't change anything because everything is moving online at this point anyway. Okay. Agreed. Yeah, yeah. There's so many great things going for chess. Obviously, this is not one of them, but it'll still be should be a fantastic match, and I think it's still going to get a lot of attention. Yeah, I don't think it'll change much. I mean, there there will be a lot less viewership for the match compared to, let's say, uh, the one between Magnus and and Dion and Pamiyashi, but the game itself won't change. People won't lose interest because of it, and I think it will lead to a situation where people care less about the the World Championship title. But people can still see Magnus play online. People can still see Hikaru play online. So it doesn't change how chess is viewed. Yeah. You're still going to watch. Of course. Yep. Only because you're commentating. Uh, actually, well, twist ending, I'm probably not. It's in Kazakhstan. I'm not waking up at 2 a.m. We're a European-based crew, man. Okay. So the position. Have either of you guys solved it? I want to have time to show it for the fans. because I, I, I have some, some idea. I have some idea that it's something silly. but. Okay. I'm, I'm not 100% sure. I'm not 100% sure either. I mean, it has I to think start. It's like, it's like King C6, Queen, and Rook G7, I think. It's something silly like that. I thought King C6, B1, Queen, Knight, D7 was... You want to move it? Well, I was waiting for them there. on the queue. So I'm going to... I'm going to... No, don't give them the answer. Just show what they show, want to analyze. Show their yeah. moves they're, they're playing out. Okay, well, this is your last Sorry, chance, fans, if anyone else wants to try to solve it. Rook E7? I think black is... Uh, you think it's, no, but they there's, said king, there's, uh, king there's c6. Now what? Ah, you knight b6, yeah. So I thought... How are they doing, Daryl? Yeah, rookie seven. Red, rookie so, seven. Now, now the, what's the next move? Yeah. So knight d7 was, I thought, what it was, but because rookie seven, I couldn't figure out king a8 here. 
What's yeah. due there? Seven. Seven check might be six. Yeah. Well, one one thing that's your chance to show am them. Am I allowed what you to? Know. Am I allowed? No, I don't. I don't <laughs> know this at all. Am I allowed to embarrass Chess.com for a moment? Uh, always. Always. The chess.com's computer doesn't see this solution. Yeah, after rookie seven, you can move the rook. There's a complicated answer to that. It has to do with the cloud engine on like the app versus not. Okay, like just if you actually want to know, something? I will explain it. A3 and king b6? And queen g6, right? In that way? You mean rookie seven? seven. It's after rookie seven, yeah. Oh. You move the rook to. Uh, rook a3, I thought was mate. There's some mate somewhere. Knight c5 and king b6? Knight b6 and rook e8, I thought. <laughs> Jen, you have an idea here? And king a5 and check in 95 is, is made. Yeah, pro it's pro that's probably it, but I'm not 100% sure. What, what do you say to the move? What's the move? Yeah. I, thought, I thought it was this, but sorry. Okay, but? But there's one thing I couldn't like 100% uh, figure out, which was. Which was well, he's already, he's already confused, which means this isn't the answer. I'm <laughs> this isn't the answer, <laughs> yeah. but I don't have an engine. I wish, there was, I wish there was an app that Robert, could tell me the answer. Robert, can you go up and help? <laughs> I was yeah, just going to yeah. say, oh, Robert, grab us to Robert Hess. Answer. Oh, yeah, Rob, Robert Hess is here. He's got it. What is Black's answer here? I thought so Queen H1, E4, Queen H2 was like the only way to solve Ah, uh, okay. And then I was yeah, like, who knows? looking at Rook G7, but it was a bit vague. Okay. You guys are on, on to the right idea, but wrong, wrong move order. So Rook E7 first is. No, the, the, first, the first move here is E4 first. <laughs> okay. To block the queen yeah. from the ah, okay. And the main idea, everybody, is that because the queen is taking the rook, you don't get to do the plan you'd like, which is to move the knight with a discovered check because of this. So you have to block the queen first. So e4, king a8, and king b6. Oh, okay. If king a8, king b6, yeah, yeah. right? So the move is queen g1. And then the final line ends with knight d7, knight b6, and on king a6, you put the knight on d5, threatening mate on b4. Nice. And the game's basically over from here. Yeah, we could, have, we could have taken 20 minutes and found it. Oh, that, that was too like, hard. I wanted to yeah. show him. We could even what do more What level puzzle is that? Like 33,000? That's yeah, it's, tough. It was your idea, Daryl. This was like... We did it. And then rook a4, rook yeah, a8, rook h8 yeah. is actually like the final yeah. solution. This was okay. like the equivalent of you making Robert Hess run a marathon. <laughs> yeah. For those who were at the first ever Sloan <laughs> chess panel we did, if you're an OG, you're awesome because we really messed up that year. We did a simul for Robert that was literally impossible for any human to do. <laughs> and he was sweating. He was sweating and you, running. Every, every other person of his level would have just given two birds and yeah. said, I'm out of this. I hate you, Danny. This was a bad idea. Right, um, okay, well, I, we, we kind of answered this earlier, but I wanted, I was planning on ending the panel with this and just talking about what, what chess needs to continue to do for the boom. And I've been lectured many times that I don't, we don't need to do anything differently. Mm. We don't need to try to sell out stadiums. That was your answer. I was just saying, we don't, don't, need to don't try to chase get on TV. the old, chase the new. That's but what saying. about your shirt? I, I got to agree with that shirt for chess, for the, the future so we, of chess growth. We, Email? we need more women, and it seems yep. to be happening, right? What are you, you have data on this, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Are, are, isn't your female games the, uh, played going up? Yeah, the female user base is. It's still under 30%, so we want to we wanna drastically increase that, but it's higher than it's ever been. That's why you need a PR person. Lead with the positive. Lead Danny. with the positive. I'm not very good at that. I, you, you already learned that during this whole, this whole scandal. But Bobby, any, any closing thoughts you have on what Chess needs to do to continue, continue the popular rise? I think it has its own momentum now, that it, yep. it might carry itself. I do think that there is, there is a space for, a, similar to how chess boxing was presented, if you get the right people behind it, people that can bring those, those fans from other esports into chess, then you could get a really good live event going. And I think one of the things that chess had, which was started many years ago, is the glass box, mm -hmm. which keeps it quiet for the players, but keeps the spectacle that that all the I looked into viewers. those glass boxes though they're very expensive just FYI so yeah <laughs> you have the money Danny chess.com's going to invest in yeah, it yeah but, but it, I mean even when you think about that that also that that has been done in the past when you look at the world championship match it was played in 95 at the world trade center between Kasparov and Anand they actually did do that where yeah. the spectators could look in and it was they, they were it was basically like a glass room that like no sound got in so those things have happened already. It's just a matter of finding the right, sort of the right timing and, and like the right people and these sorts of things that I think will make the difference. 
I think Carl's on broadening the base of money that comes in. There's been sort of a narrow set of sponsors, people who support chess, and it seems still need to need to have that broadened out so it's across all the categories, watches, you know, like like the NBA has. We have we have a broad base of sponsors, TV money, everything that sort of perpetuates everything. Uh, and I had a question that's maybe a little personal, but to me, like you playing for the World Championship, uh, Fabiano, uh, or say if Hikaru would make it in the future, any American, it felt like it should have been a bigger deal when it happened because, you know, obviously the first American to be playing for that and such. If that had happened now, do you think it would be different yeah. for you? Yeah, I think it would be bigger. Although at the time it was, it did get a lot of publicity, but now it would, it would explode in, a, yeah, in an unprecedented way for sure. Would have been epic, yeah. And do you think some of it was like you needed to be a little more, I don't know, bombastic? I mean, like, you know, like, there's, like, a whole personality angle to chess. So Fisher was obviously one of the greatest of all time, but a lot of, like, the attention was obviously the time, U.S. versus USSR, but also, like, his personality being, like... Yeah, why this. couldn't you, like, threaten Magnus more or get a face tattoo <laughs> or something? Maybe. Yeah, I think that would have been a huge mistake. You always need to be yourself because you get seen through if you're not yourself. I, I yep. that, yeah. But, yeah, I think the, the times... Were, were really crucial for that match gaining so much popularity. We don't have something like that now. I mean, we, we could. We could if it was, uh, you know, U.S. versus... I guess Ding going against Ding, Loren, you know, my... Ding Loren versus Nepal Machine. Well, there is a, there's a bit of a U.S.-China. Well, yeah, but Russia against China? I'm not sure. What's that? It's not really a... <laughs> Over the conversation we want to touch on right now. Well, um, yeah, you'll, I, I think there will be future um, world championships with U.S. players. That's going to be a huge boon. I also think you know it's great that it's great and really exciting and heartwarming to hear about all the um, percentages of females on Chess.com skyrocketing. But let's be honest, there's still a lot of underrepresentation of women, especially when it comes to leadership in chess, to chess coaches, to chess authors. So. I think if, you, if we improve that, like the numbers are gonna explode. And that is one beautiful thing about chess, right? That it crosses gender and age boundaries, that yep. you can have people competing of all different types. And I think that we really need to lean into that more. I mean, LGBTQ plus representation in chess could certainly be improved a lot, especially at the international level where sometimes events are held in places where there aren't good human rights for members of the LGBTQ community. So I think those are some areas I'd really love to see chess grow into. I mean, is it the only sport where a woman was a top 10 player in that sport in the world? I mean, I think. And, and that story and probably others, isn't but, told as much as it should be. Yeah. When you say that, I wonder how many people know exactly who you're talking about. How many people know that there was a top 10 woman? Or, and, and could name her, right? And, and that's can, they, can part, you name that's her? part of the problem. Right? Yeah, we, we got some hands Shout up here. Shout out the name. But I think that I think you're making a great point, Jen. Yes. I think it's over here. We got it. There you That's go. Right. Okay, Polgar, yes. you to Polgar. Which well, sister? The Queen's Gambit showed us that too, right? You had, you know, the, uh, you know, the protagonist was not the traditional chess character. I mean, that's been a big problem with the game. Is when you think of the game historically, you think of what is the logo of Chess Master? An old white guy holding a chess piece, and that's what chess has <laughs> what been viewed as, right? And I think that the game is changing. I think the game is younger than ever. It's more diverse than ever, but. Those stories and also getting better representation is certainly really, we're only just starting to do that, so. And Anya Taylor-Joy did tweet Queen's Gambit 2. Apparently her account was hacked, by people, the way. People said her account was hacked, okay. All right, okay. last round of questions. Nepo or Ding? I answered this question recently. I, I think I'd give a slight nod to Nepo. Why? But a very slight, the experience on his team is probably a bit more professional, like we've, we've seen Ding come to candidates basically alone. I don't think that will happen for the world championship, but I don't know if he has the same level of team around him. Uh, and also the experience, even if, if Jan lost the match, it still is very valuable experience of what he's getting into, especially for the first two games when, you're, when you have to get adjusted and, and it really hits you like a truck when you're, you're there under the spotlight for the first time. So those first games, and we've seen Ding struggle in the first games of tournaments, even in the last candidates. He lost to, to Jan, for example, with the white pieces. So we've seen Ding struggle at the start of tournaments. I think his advantage is that he generally comes, can make comebacks better than Jan can. So if things go well for him for the start, then he's probably a favorite. But yeah, I would still give maybe like slightly more than 50% to Jan, but only slightly more. 
And Carl, you're nodding along. Does that mean you? Um, I mean, I, I just think it's it's just not super important who wins really at the end of the day. And it, it really, I love it's going to come down to, you know, what changes happen so that the best player in the world will compete for what should be the most prestigious title in the game of chess. Well, you're making me have to read the next Twitter question because that was exactly the question is if that's the case, what will be, what will we be talking about in five years as the pinnacle of chess or 10 years? Will it be the world championship title? Will it be an, uh, a series of combo of the future of an online hybrid title? And you answered the question by saying the current world championship match doesn't matter. So what will matter in the future? Um, I mean, I, I think uh, most likely it's going to come down to online events. I mean, when you look at the ecosystem of where there is sponsorship, uh, online chess is where you do have big sponsors putting in serious money to have these competitions happening. And I think that's only going to keep growing because the, the base of people who watch chess, it's much bigger online than, than it ever has been, and it, it will keep growing. So I'm pretty optimistic that chess online is, is the future more so than over the board. Okay. Well, Nepo or Ding, Jen? Oh, good Ding. I'll go, uh, I'm going to answer his question and say the future at some point will be a huge prize pool, rapid 960 tournament will be the biggest thing. Okay, so chess. Nepo, Jen. I say Ding Ren. And Ding Ren literally doesn't care. Had to get it in. <laughs> literally doesn't care and some I'm, I'm random gonna, answer. Yeah. I'll say, I'll say I, I, also, I also think Nepo's a slight favorite. So there you go. But that's our panel, everybody. And I hope you enjoyed solving the chess position and hearing from <laughs> these. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome, Thanks, awesome chess Thanks. ambassadors. Question, man.